Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Hope everyone had a great Pesach. Uh, we're just diving right back in here now. Afterwards, we were in Israel, had a really nice time. Um, and we have a, a guest with us today that uh, we were hoping to connect with um, even before the holiday, um, but we're very excited to be able to speak to him now. Um, you know, for those of you that have been listening to Jew in the City Speaks for a while um, and who have been following our organization online on our various online platforms, you're aware that the purpose of our organization is to break down stereotypes about the Orthodox community, to, you know, spread Kiddush Hashem, to really show a lot of the positive things in the Orthodox community that many people don't hear about or don't get to see in the media that's often reported. Um, but um, something a few years ago happened uh, within the organization that kind of made our mission broader. And that was there were people that reached out to us that said, our experience with orthodoxy isn't as positive as you put it out there. And, you know, to give the, the full picture, you need to talk about the negative things, too. And the truth is that um, my my rabbi from Israel, the rub that I go to, that our family goes to, is a big believer in the uh the idea from the Gemara, from the Talmud, Shtika Kahoda'a, that um, remaining silent is tacit approval for something negative. And he's a big believer that when there are problems in the community, um, we need to speak out against them. And that that in itself is Kiddush Hashem, to speak out against the, the bad and the problems in the community. And so the truth is that um, at our last board meeting, we were supposed to talk about it, and we hopefully we'll do it at our next board meeting, to make the, our mission statement even broader for Jew in the city, that it's not just to... Uh, promote the positive, but also to speak out to the negative uh, against the negative, because that is uh, really the the fullest way to to make Kiddush Hashem. And no one should ever believe that you know. Even though we we believe the Torah is true, we believe it's a beautiful lifestyle, and there's wonderful things happening in the Orthodox community. If we believe that we are, uh, you know, that the negativity or problems, uh, you know, aren't possible in our community, then we're simply lying to ourselves and doing a big disservice to you know to ourselves and to the world. Um, so the area that we're talking about today uh, involves child abuse. Unfortunately, it's too relevant. There's been a couple of stories that have come out this week. Um, a troubling video um, of uh, an abuser uh, in, in a, a Hasidic school, um, purportedly it appears from the video, abusing a, a student. Um, there's some cases happening in the news right now with statute of limitations. Um, my own personal kind of uh, entree into this world or understanding it more happened probably about three years ago, um, a, a reader, a Jew in the City reader, reached out to me and told me specifically about this issue that we needed to report on it more and we needed to talk about it more. And he was a survivor of abuse. I learned at that point that you're supposed to call survivor and not victim because, you know, these people to, to you know, move on from the, the trauma of the past, it's really about surviving and not being victimized. Um, and he started sending me a lot of articles about things that had happened in the community and really opened my eyes up to um, cover-ups that existed, which was really painful to, you know, uh, admit or to realize um, were going on in, in communities where, you know, if the, the uh, sort of purpose should be love your neighbor as yourself and don't stand idly by your neighbor's blood to, you know, important uh, values within the Torah. Um, and I wrote an article um, on Jew in the City after um, kind of 
slodging through this stuff a lot, um, kind trying to, you know, uh, not apologize, because I can't apologize to the victims on behalf of the entire community, but sort of putting it out there that more people should, um, you know, speak out against us so we can, um, you know, hopefully uh, eradicate this problem in our community. So anyway, in keeping with um, these ideas and these thoughts we have with us today, Chaim Levin, who is a survivor of abuse, he's a community activist, he's a project manager at Colva O's, which is an organization that helps to uh, publicize this information uh, in the Jewish world and hopefully, uh, as I said, eradicate the problem. Chaim, thank you so much for joining us today. Totally. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, of course. So we've spoken to um, to some mental health professionals before on this show in terms of this topic, but you're you are the first survivor that we have. So it's obviously a much you know sort of more emotional uh, or you know personal connection to this topic like that. Can you first, uh, I guess, begin by telling us about your Jewish background growing up, like where you were raised, and you know, kind of what your uh, religious uh, you know background looked like? Yeah, um, I grew up in Crown Heights in the Chabad community. So uh, very orthodox, uh, very you know Hasidic, and uh, I uh, that started shifting when I was about eighteen. But for the most part, uh, you know, I grew up in a regular from community in a very from family that was just like everybody else. And um, can I ask you know, also, what were these points that I mentioned before, like the Haftalerich Kamocha Al Dam Al Tam Al Tamur? Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't stand idly by your neighbor's blood. Right. Were these were these points um, highlighted or something that you know you feel like reflected? You, the, sort of the the Jewish way that you were brought up, or was it more about you know laws and you know things between you and God as opposed to these laws between man and man? Well, you know, ironically, my bar mitzvah parsha is I think uh, it's this week or last week. It's Kedoshim. And I read it uh, for my bar mitzvah, and one of the things, among many other things that it included, was Leisamayel uh, Damriacha. And so I've been, you know, I've been familiar with that, and you know, I've been aware of it, but uh, I'm not sure. Like, I can't say that it was, uh, you know, I mean, we learned basic Jewish laws of all kinds. You know, yeah, we didn't, you know, we didn't learn secular studies, so there was a lot of emphasis on on those things, but, you know, it didn't translate into, like, discussing things like abuse, mm-hmm. or, you know, obviously. Right, and so, and then my next question was, was there any abuse education or any knowledge or any, like, you know, I didn't grow up Orthodox, but um, my mother, I think, probably raised this with us, probably when we were, like, four or five, um, she decided that she wanted to tell us about it, and so she would tell us about the birds and the bees so that we would know kind of, you know, the positive way it's supposed to happen, right. the negative way it could happen, and so that we would have our eyes, you know, wide open, you know, God forbid, should anyone ever try to hurt us. So was there any, you know, in terms of your family or your community or your school, was there any sort of um, awareness or education about bad people, you know, stranger danger or anything along those lines? No, no, unfortunately there was not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is what, you know, ultimately kind of, for me, when, when I first came forward and, you know, that was supposed to be like an empowering moment where you finally tell your story. And uh, instead of it being empowering, it kind of resulted in a, in a, in a, in a long uh, cover-up, which, you know, is not any longer, but 
um, I think that was just due to the culture of silence. You know, I started talking and people didn't want to hear it. Everyone was like, just stop talking about it. Don't talk about it. You're making people uncomfortable. You're going to, you're not going to be able to get into yeshiva. You're going to be viewed as damaged goods. You know, because once I started talking at the age of 14, I did not stop talking. Mm-hmm. And can I you tell, tell our anyone. Listeners, what, what age, um, what ages were you abused from? And, um, this was, I believe we spoke before, and this was a, a, a relative that, so someone that already had yeah. access to you in an intimate way that was able to take such advantage. So right. from, from what ages did, did this abuse last? Uh, it was my first cousin, and it went from when I was six till I was ten. Mm-hmm. And do you remember, was there something that um, prompted you four years after it ended to finally have the courage to, to go out and tell people? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I for those four years, you know, I kind of swore to myself that I would never, ever, ever, ever talk about it. Um, but then there came a point uh, in my teens when I was kind of trying to figure out who I was, and I was very confused. I felt like uh, my identity was kind of created by my abuse, and I needed to, I needed to talk to someone about it, and I reached out to. Uh, friend who's a Chabad Shliach, and he was the first person I told. And what uh, it was, was just like I, I had to like I just couldn't. It, it was like I felt like I was going to explode. I like I had to tell someone, but I was also really afraid to tell someone. Like, but so when I called him, it took me like over an hour to just say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what and I, what year was this? It. I'm trying to figure out, like, kind of where, because the, the secular world has also had, this is what I was thinking about before um, we did the interview today, like, so, like, the world's been around for, like, a long time, like, <laughs> you know, human civilization yeah. for, yeah. you know, oh, quite a while, um, and it's just kind of like, even in the secular world, Chaim, right, in the last, what, like, 20 years, 25 years, like, People are just waking up to this issue. I mean, do, do you know how the Jewish world compares to sort of the, the secular world waking up to this issue of abuse? Well, I mean, it, it's, mixed. it's a mixed bag. There's definitely a lot of good things happening in the Jewish community mm-hmm. um, where people are, you know, taking, talking about it, which was the first thing. You know, I used to have this dream, uh, a con- very, you know, recurring all the time where I was, you know, trying to scream on the top of my lungs about what happened to me, but that I had no voice, that mm. there was no voice coming out. Mm. And I feel like that was because of the, the attitude of, like, you know, we don't talk about these things. And today, uh, that's not true anymore. Today we talk about these things, and I think yeah. that's very positive. Um, I mean, with that said, though, as, you, as I'm sure you know, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners know, uh, we have a long way to go. Right. And... Uh, you know, there are some cases that were documented recently in, in Crown Heights that were pretty upsetting, uh, but, you know, needed to be told because, uh, there, you know, these cases were pretty severe. And yeah. uh, so far, there has been no accountability or any acknowledgement even by, by the people who, who oversaw these things. And that's very disturbing because what's to say that they that they won't do what they did 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago when it comes up again? Like, what, what holds them accountable? So my question before that, I'm not sure if I explained it clearly enough, um, I'm saying the world at large has only been clued into kind of 
the sex abuse thing, or even like, let's take, for instance, physical abuse. Like it used to be that like nuns hit kids and, you know, um, right. you know what I'm saying? Right. Like where, I guess that's what I, or do, right. do you have any knowledge about this since this is kind of your expertise and if it's, you don't, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I, I, I understand that and it's true. Uh, the world has come, you know, a very long way and, uh, but you know, at the same time today, physically, uh, uh hitting a, a student is not acceptable in public school. Right. If, even touching a student on his arm is unacceptable, and yet, right. you know, in in the Newsweek article, you have a reference to a teacher who threw a boy through a glass window and gave him a brain concussion two years ago, but he's still teaching at the school. So, yes, uh, the secular world and the world in general has come a long way, but I feel right. like there are certain parts, certain parts of the Orthodox world that are lagging, that that need a little push, to say the least, to kind of get on board, to really make it clear that this is not acceptable conduct, that is not going to be tolerated, and that the people who speak out about it won't be uh, vilified and and treated like you know like like troublemakers, because at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is to make the community safer. Right. Uh, for many years, I, uh, you know, people when I was trying to figure out who I was, people told me what I wanted to hear instead of the truth. Mm-hmm. They said, if you do this, this, and this, this will happen. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll, your identity will be clear. They were telling me what I wanted to hear, and they were doing me a disservice. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to tell any community a lie and tell them just what they want to hear to make them feel comfortable. You know, people should be a little bit uncomfortable. Right. But that's not, that's not to say that we're burning down the house, as some people have characterized it. We are getting rid of, rid of the bad stuff in the house. And back, you know, and look, before any of these things have gone public, uh, the school was confronted with it, you know, privately. And unfortunately, the response wasn't sufficient. So, and this is a pattern that you see in, in this, we've seen it in the secular world. If you look at Penn State and Jerry Sandusky, you know, that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, abuse went on. uh, Someone on the higher up knew about it and did nothing. Um, But I, I also, you know, I was raised to believe that we are, uh, we're, we're, we're special nation. We're a special group of people. Right. We are, we're the chosen people. And it was, it was, it was upsetting, uh, you know, when I realized that, uh, in this area, we are not, we are not, uh, living up to that title because, uh, instead of taking allegations and investigating them or referring them to the police, uh, they're being handled and kind of shut down. And I just think that we can be better, and I think we will be. I think that we're on the right track. I've seen, well, I'm, I'm currently in Albany, uh, and uh, we had two days of, of lobbying for this bill that would get rid of the statute of limitations, which are currently uh, uh, some of the worst in the country. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, a document where over 163 Jewish leaders, mostly rabbis, have signed on in support mm-hmm. of this bill, which is historic. It's the first time it ever happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Jewish community is kind of, you know, and this, I, I think that the, the most effective way to change anything is to change the law, especially when the law is so terribly uh, unfavorable to survivors. Um, and uh, it's, it's amazing to see you know, lots of Jewish communities saying, we support this change. We want to make it better for survivors. We want to be accountable. And, of course, yes, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. But 
uh, the concept of teshuva, right? I mean, you have to take responsibility for what happened in order to move forward. Right. Uh, and, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, I mean, in, uh, in, in, in the case of, of the school, I mean, many of us just want an apology. Mm-hmm. Just an apology. Like, just mm-hmm. acknowledge what you did. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge that when I came to you at the age of 14 and told you that I was raped for four years by my cousin, instead of uh, telling my parents not to do anything, which resulted in, you know, years and years of my abuser being a welcome guest at our Shabbos table, mm-hmm. um, acknowledge that you made a mistake, and that's not ha- that's not what happened. And uh, the, the same principle has overseen many other cover-ups, mm-hmm. and he's still in charge of children. And my nephew goes to that school, so it's more than personal for me because I don't feel like my nephew is safe. And what many? And what is the? What do you think the motivation for not talking about it is? Is it um, this is Lashon Hara, and we can't corroborate the claims? Is it this is a sexual matter, and it's not a modest thing to talk about? Where, like, what do you think the I'm, tr- I'm trying to like to, I'm I'm trying to like remember, you know, you know, ten years ago, I was literally I was like a, you know, a, I was talking to anyone who would who would hear me, and uh, basically what people were saying to me was that if you talk about it, you're going to ruin your name. Mm-hmm. So and and I think that I think that that was an excuse just to say like you know this is making us uncomfortable. Don't talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But the truth is that like. Uh, my name technically got ruined. I was kicked out of yeshiva at 17, mm-hmm. um, and, and largely because of this. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that was a combination of not knowing how to deal with this. This has never been talked about, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the also not wanting to acknowledge that our community might not be perfect, which I think is a very normal thing. Every community has its ups and downs. Right. And, you know, my message is that I think we are making progress, and mm-hmm. it's slow, but it's steady, and, uh, but there are certain situations that, uh, you know, there's no room for ambiguity or, or you know, maybe more time. Uh, the school's outlines in the Newsweek article are, are a perfect example of that, where uh, there, there's trouble, there's a fire, and there's danger. And it needs to be addressed. We have to put pride aside. We have to put ego aside. And we have to, you know, these people have to sit down and take responsibility, at least, and say, you know, from here on out, uh, this, here are our policies. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's not going to happen. And I'm waiting to see that. And I, I'm hopeful. Maybe I'm very optimistic. But I, I am hopeful because I have seen quite a change. Um, but it, it, it's still a process. And... Uh, we need it to happen as soon as possible. I think one of the things, you know, um, after I spoke to the survivor and, you know, read the many articles that he sent me of, you know, cover-ups happening in lots of different places and community members threatening people that went to the police, which was just so eye-opening and troubling for me, I was working on right. an article that nearly got published in the Wall Street Journal um, and the last minute they decided not to publish it, but I spoke to a bunch of different people. I spoke to, um, like, rabbis and activists in the Haredi world that we're making a difference and kind of heard from them, for instance, in case our listeners are not familiar with it, I think probably the two motivating reasons why people don't speak about it is Masira, you know, the idea of not informing on a fellow Jew right. and uh, right. Lashon Hara that, you know, uh, speaking, you know, evil right. speak about speech about someone else. And this one Hasidic rabbi that has done a lot in, in this um, 
you know, field said that he thinks a lot of people have these memories from Europe of Jews being taken away by the non-Jewish government and, you know, never never right. being seen again and that they they right. haven't woken up to the fact that um, it's not like that in America. It's not, thankfully, it's not like that in much of the world's right. other democracies right. and that if you, um, if you, you know, someone gets arrested, it's not informing, it's actually just the law, you know, being followed um, and that right. In terms of the the Lush and Hara claim that you know a, a very 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 high number of people that make such accusations are doing it, um, be, are saying it because it's true, um, and that uh, it's it's equivalent to you know killing someone, and that we we can stand idly by. Something um, that I learned from you know doing research for this article um, that was kind of troubling. Um, I spoke to a guy uh, in a Hasidic community within Canada um, who first he said to me that um, his nephew was arrested and, you know, tried for this and put away and he's not so sure if it was the right thing that happened because then the siblings couldn't, like, you know, get married. They were having trouble with Shidduchim. And I said, well, like, what if your nephew was a murderer and that, you know, made a problem with Shidduchim? Like, then what? And he said, well, murder is against halacha. And so and, and so that was kind of a, a troubling moment for me of sort of like, how do you right. not realize that this is against halacha too? And then he told me, well, there was this guy in my school that touched all of us boys and like we turned out okay. So he in, you know, himself was a survivor, although I guess as I sort of educated myself more about this topic, I, I learned that depending on the age gap between the, you know, the perpetrator and the the victim um it, it can change kind of how i guess deep the trauma is if the age gap is larger if it's a position of power right, right, uh, it seems like this right. was a classmate that was a year older that was just touching other boys and or not just touching but i was right. touching other boys this man that i was speaking to was one of them and he seemed to have you know been okay from or, or at least somewhat okay <laughs> he seemed to be functioning right, um, afterwards right. and so in his mind since you couldn't point to him exactly where in the Torah it said, you know, um, that this specific thing is wrong, even though I think, and then I was sort of struggling with that, like, why doesn't the Torah, you know, name molestation specifically as something wrong? And I think um, what I've come to realize is that it can't yeah, sort of name every last specific instance because there are so many different ways you can traumatize people, but to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, and um, I know and uh, that you could be... Um, What's it called? That you could be nevelable or just a Torah that, you know, you could, um, you know, be, be disgusting, you know, within the Torah's permission. Because I guess really the thing is that, like, at what point, like, where does the hand touching go from a friendly touch to an uncomfortable touch? That's something that it's, you know, I think you only know that once you're in the place of it happening to. And so maybe the Torah can't specifically say, like, this inch is okay, but that inch is not okay. I think, you know, right, when right. abuse happens, it's known by the abuser and right. the person being abused, but it's right. more than, so. So the fact that this guy, you know, couldn't find a specific source to say that it was us or meant that it was kind of like maybe people are just making too big of a deal about it. And so then I, I guess what I was wondering, maybe it's a lack of mental health knowledge in in some more insular parts of the from community, not really quite getting that this really is damaging. I mean, so do, do you think that's part of what it is, that people are just not quite, or they just weren't maybe in the past quite clued in about that touching could be that damaging and that dangerous? Well, I, I mean, you know, if you're talking, if you're, I'm assuming you're talking about, like, a touching in, like, a sexual abuse kind of way. And yeah. I, I, the people who do it are, are sick, you know. 
yeah. they are they're sick, they're dangerous, and they need to you know they need to be held accountable. Um, I think there's a fine line in how we do that, but uh, you know there there are concepts in the Torah that you know don't hurt someone, right? Don't kill, right. don't uh, you know? And I think those could really kind of expand to this basic thing of. Don't kill a child's soul. Don't kill right. someone's soul by, by, you know, by, 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 by abusing them. Yeah. So it, it, it's not a, some, it's easy. I think that to say that it's so black and white, it's, it's, it's what we've heard is a lot of excuses. And the, at the end of the day, uh, just like the rest of the secular world, uh, or not the rest, but a lot of, you know, parts of the secular world, they have said, they said, we made a mistake. Right. We were wrong. We didn't realize how severe this was. That's the same thing that is happening now in our communities yeah. and needs to happen even more because we're not there yet. Um, I think that, and I think that, yes, uh, you know, my parents didn't understand how severe it was. They didn't understand uh, the damage that was done to me and certainly the damage that would be done to me over the next five years as my abuser was a welcome guest in their home. You know, yeah. today they understand it and yeah. today, you know, they, they, they take ownership over it. But uh, I can't say the same for the, you know, the rabbi who advised them or the school that, that was part of it, you know. And I, I think that specifically in Crown Heights where, you know, on the one hand where, you know, you know Chabad is more progressive, but at the same time, this is, this is seen as a little bit of a threat to the entire ethos of the community. And uh, they don't, they, you know, they don't want it to be ruined or uh, be... Uh, mirrored by abuse allegations, but the truth is, uh, the quicker they acknowledge it and deal with it, the sooner, uh, you know, the, the articles and the, 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 you know, the indirect shame will end, because what we're looking for is acknowledgement and, you know, validation. Just accept that something wrong was done, right. and we need, we need closure. So I think that, you know, the more that you educate people about the effects of it, um, something that happened maybe a couple of years ago after, um, you know, the Weberman uh, trial was very, uh, you know, talked about and known yeah. and we yeah. posted about it. Um, and there was the victim or the survivor of the Weberman saga, or I guess the one that I guess finally brought the charges because I believe there might have been other ones. I guess, yes, so there were. Um, there was a, an article in maybe Newsweek or something like Daily News, uh, maybe Daily News that she walked into, you know, services during the high holidays and wasn't dressed according to the SNEA standards of the community right. and people right. booed her. And so we posted something on June in the city that like, you know, this woman has already been traumatized once, like leave her alone. Like what is wrong with people? Right. Woman wrote to me afterwards right. and she said, well, you know, my friend or sister or so-and-so was sitting there and you would not believe what she wore. And so I wrote back to this woman and I said, um, the reason that, you know, in my mind, I mean, besides the fact that I think most people that, um, you know, report abuse uh, should be trusted anyway, um, I, the tipping point for me was that I read about um, that many of the survivors of this man um, had trouble seeing um, fire, Havdalah candles, because he would burn them as part of his sick, twisted, um, you know, uh, abuse. Right. And right. so um, it, several of them corroborated this without knowing the other one um, and told uh, Rabbi Horowitz, Yankee Horowitz, who's a big um, activist. Right. And, um, and when yeah. I described to this woman that this woman, this child had been burned and, you know, 
So at that point, her tune changed, and she said, I had no idea, like, what she's been through. You know, that's awful. And it, for me, I guess right. what was hopeful about that moment was that seeing that sort of taking the time to explain to someone, this is not just someone trying to make yeah. trouble or, yeah. you know, be, you know, immodest in, you know, a Hasidic shul in, in Borough Park or whatever it was. Um, it's that this person has really been mistreated and abused, and, you know, it's up for us now just to love right. and care and, you know, um, try to end this. Right. And seeing, seeing that the change right. in her tone was really so um, so hopeful to me. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen it also in my own, you know, in my own journey. I've seen the tone change uh, dramatically from even from when, you know, in 2012 when I filed a lawsuit against my cousin. Uh, even then, people were pretty hostile to me. But uh, even over the last couple of years, people have apologized and said, you know, I really had no idea. And I'm finally understanding it, and that is hopeful for sure. Uh, we are, you know, we are making progress, like I said. But we need uh, institutions, we need schools to have written, uh, written guidelines about what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, and also to, you know, like I said, the concept of teshuva to take ownership over the past. Uh, in order to make a change in the future. Get, we're, we're out of time now, Chaim, yeah. but thank you so much for coming on today and for continuing to um, spread this message. Absolutely. I hope that our listeners are already, you know, you're preaching to the choir, um, but I hope that, you know, yeah. in their own world, they'll continue to educate their children and make sure that their schools have the right standards in terms of keeping kids safe. And we wish you a lot of Hatzlacha in uh, protecting children. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And you can join us. Find us here, same time, same place, next week.